Amen. Gospel City Church, it's so good to worship with you today. Thanks, Caleb. And hopefully you notice at the end of every time we gather to sing that we're not singing songs about ourselves when we get to the end of it, are we? We're singing songs that say, you, God, have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever you reign. Yours is the kingdom and the power now, forever and always because worship is not about ourselves. Worship is about Jesus Christ. Worship recenters us after we've gone out into the world all week long and things have pulled for our attention and thing, the world has tried to make things about us. It's awesome to get together with God's people, isn't it? And center ourselves on Jesus. I wanna welcome you to Gospel City Church today. And if you're worshiping from home with us, thanks so much. I've gotten some texts from people who are in Florida, people who are in different places in the country, and they are uh, thankful to worship with all of you here today. And so thanks for joining us faithfully and engaging in God's word. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. Everyone can go ahead and pull out their Bibles and open to 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 8 through 18. And uh, if you remember last week, Pastor Trent kicked off a series entitled Fan the Flame. And uh, for the foreseeable future, we're going to be going verse by verse through this incredibly rich text. The second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, one of his disciples, one of the peoples he had poured into and trained. And uh, the, the text in 2 Timothy is so rich. Uh, Paul wrote it while in prison, in a hole, awaiting his execution for being a follower of Jesus Christ and for her heralding the message of Jesus Christ. And to no shock to anyone, Paul is very concerned in 2 Timothy with sound doctrine going forward. He's very concerned with the message of Christ and the gospel moving forward. He's very concerned with anyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ, that they would be bold in their faith, even in the midst of suffering and opposition. Pastor Trent gave us a little bit of the cultural context that was going on last week surrounding the time of this letter. Let me remind you, Emperor Nero, an absolute tyrant of a man, okay? He's in charge of Rome. And uh, he had just burned down the city of Rome while playing his fiddle like an absolute psycho. And then he makes up this story that the Christians are the ones who burned down the city of Rome. And so to be a Christian, to even be a Christian now, was committing a capital offense. And if you associated with Jesus and his church, you were hated. You would not only be arrested, but you would most likely be executed, which could include being beheaded, could include being burned at the stake at one of Nero's garden parties. You could be hung on a cross or you could be thrown into an arena where lions would eat you alive as thousands cheered on for the sport of it. There was a lot at stake if you were a Christian during that time. And Timothy, we don't know exactly what was up with him and how he was doing. Maybe his faith was waning a little bit. Maybe he was growing a little timid. Wouldn't you grow a little timid if that's what was happening to Christians who were professing the name of Jesus Christ? We don't know exactly, but Paul is certainly exhorting Timothy, listen, bro, now is not the time to grow timid. I know the heat's getting turned up. I know it's scary, but everything you need for glorifying God and making disciples is at your disposal. And that's where Trent left off last week. If you'll go back to verse six in chapter one of 2 Timothy real quick. Paul writes this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame 
the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul's like, I didn't pour into you and disciple you and commission you so that you could hide away and find comfort when the going gets tough. Timothy, you have a gift. You have it what it takes to move this message forward. So fan into flame your ability to speak Jesus Christ. In verse seven, Paul says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God didn't give you a spirit of cowardness. God didn't make no timid Timmy. Everything that you need to stand up in the face of adversity and make known the message of reconciliation to God is in your spiritual bank. So cash in, be bold, and speak the message of Jesus in the face of opposition. That's really the message that we'll hear today as we finish chapter one, simply being unashamed of the gospel, of the good news, of the message that is found in the Bible before we even dig into the rest of this chapter, let's just read it and allow God's word to speak to us. Everyone get a copy of God's word, get your eyes on God's word. We'll start in verse eight. Lord, would you come right now and we believe in the power of your word. Would you speak through your word as it washes over us in this moment by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Now hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. <gasps> but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is God's word for today and this is our text. And I really think there's two points that Paul is trying to drive home to young Timothy and ultimately Gospel City Church today. The first of those two points is this. Remember the power of the gospel and be unashamed. Remember the power of the gospel and be unashamed. We pick it up in verse eight. He says, therefore, referring back to verse seven, because God didn't give you a spirit of fear, because he's given you love and power and self-control, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony 
about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We don't really know Timothy's exact testimony, but we know Paul's, don't we? Paul hated Christians. Paul hated the church. Paul spent his life killing Christians, trying to get the church from moving forward. And then one day he's on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus. And Jesus changed his name from Saul to Paul. Jesus changed his status. Jesus changed his nature. And from that day forward, Paul would face persecution and suffering and hardships and arrest after arrest after arrest. But Paul would never stop pushing forward the message of Jesus Christ and the saving power of the gospel, even in the face of opposition, even unto death. Parts of that were probably Timothy's testimony and parts of that should be your testimony here today. Like you should be able to point to a moment in your life when Jesus brought you from death to life. Can you point to that moment? If you're here today and you don't have a testimony, Welcome to Gospel City Church, but I, I can't, like don't leave this place without asking somebody, hey, how do I, what, what's he talking about with a testimony? How do I get a testimony of being brought from death to life, made alive in Christ? What's that all about? I would love to talk to you after the service or find somebody, come find a pastor up here at the end of the service. But for everyone who does have a testimony, you can point to when Jesus brought you from death to life. Do you ever get ashamed of your testimony? Have you ever been ashamed of it, like timid to share it? I was reminded of this time when I was in school at Liberty University. So I'm at Liberty University, one of the nation's largest Christian colleges. I'm studying worship and music. I was taking a minor in biblical studies. I mean, that's like super Christian status, right? I'm studying the Bible in school. I was leading worship on the weekends at a small church. And I was telling kids about Jesus on Wednesday night at youth group. And on Sunday nights, I was leading Awanas, telling little kids, helping them memorize scripture. I was married at the time and I was working at Frito-Lay in the warehouse. And I was driving a forklift, unloading trucks. I worked the four, the four to midnight shift. And uh, one night I was on my lunch break at about 8 p.m. And I remember sitting there with all these blue collar dudes. And uh, the one guy looks across the table and says, to my buddy, hey, what are, you, what are you going to school for? What do you go to Liberty for? And, and in that moment, I felt this like fear of man rise up in my spirit for just a moment. And I was kind of like, man, I only got 10 minutes till I got to be back on the floor. And uh, this dude's going to ask me what, I, what I'm going to school for. And he doesn't care about my faith at all. He probably doesn't go to church. And I don't got time to get into it. And, 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 and sure enough, he asked my buddy, what are you going to school for? And my buddy said, you know, business, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And then he turns to me, what are you going to school for? I was like, music. And he said, uh, what are you going to do with that? I was like, oh, I don't know, probably, probably like teach, teach music or something, teach people music. And the moment passed and I was back on the floor in my forklift feeling like an absolute loser who didn't cash in on the power, the love, and the self-control that comes with the message of Jesus when we need it most. I could have said to that guy, hey, I, I'm studying music, I'm really studying the Bible, I just wanna spend my life telling people about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it, could have said that, but I didn't. I missed the opportunity, I grew timid, I got ashamed 
in that moment, fearful in that moment of maybe being ridiculed, maybe being misunderstood, maybe not having the time to really flesh it out or have all the words that I could say. Have you ever had a moment like that? And Paul here tells Timothy, I know there's a lot of persecution. I know there's a lot going on, but be unashamed of your testimony, even in the midst of suffering. Gospel City Church, I know you might get made fun of or ridiculed or misunderstood or lose friends, but be unashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ, regardless of the opposition. Notice that Paul says in verse eight, nor of me his prisoner, don't be afraid of me, I'm God's prisoner. Paul doesn't even consider himself a prisoner of Rome. He won't even give them that satisfaction. I don't care what Rome and Nero tell me to do, I'm a prisoner of Christ and so therefore I have to do what he's told me to do and he's told me to fan into flame my ability to preach the goodness of Jesus to all. If you're a prisoner of the Lord, then it is your responsibility to unashamedly carry this testimony and suffering for Christ's sake. And then Paul goes in to finish verse eight, sharing the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul goes into this long sentence where I had to catch a breath, reminding Timothy of the saving power of the gospel. Had Timothy heard the gospel? I would hope so. He was a follower of Paul for three years and now he's expected to take this message forward. Have you, Gospel City Church, heard the gospel? Yeah, I mean, we are Gospel City Church. We got it in our names. And so why do we gotta come here and hear the gospel again? When we hear, be unashamed of the gospel, many of us probably think about Romans 1.16. Be unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. But the cool part about 2 Timothy, Paul doesn't just give Timothy, hey, hey, the gospel has power. He doesn't just tell him, be unashamed. Paul goes into this, great sentence where he lays out the power that God has through the message of the gospel, okay? Let's check it out together. Here's four ways that the gospel reveals God's power. Four ways that we see 2 Timothy revealing God's power through the gospel. The first one is this, God has the power to save. God has the power to save. Going into verse nine, sharing the suffering of the gospel by the power of God who saved us. So the question is, what does God save us from? What's God save us from? Well, let's consider this. He first saves us from sin. God can change one who is enslaved to sin. God can make someone who is a slave to sin, a slave of righteousness. You realize how much power God has to have to take somebody who is dead and lost in their trespasses and sins and change their hard heart into a heart of flesh so that they might desire the things of God, so that they might desire righteousness and long to walk in the way of our God. God can save you from your sin. Not only that, God saves us from hell. Every sinner owes an eternal wage of punishment, death, and separation, but God has the power to save you from the clutches of hell. You're destined for separation from God, but God, in his grace, by his power, through the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, he can change your destination. That's powerful. Not only that, 
God has the power to save us from Satan. God can take people who are gripped by the evil one and under the attack of an evil dominion and protect them and give them victory. The devil's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. God can save you from the devil. And Paul writes to Timothy, he's like, man, if you can just remember, God is mighty to save. And if you remember that God is mighty to save, you can be unashamed in your testimony of Jesus Christ. Not only that, verse nine continues, God has the power to make us holy. That's the second way that we see the gospel revealing God's power. God has the power to make us holy. Look what verse nine says. He not only saved us, but he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God not only saves us from the brokenness and evil of this world, but God has the power to save us for a divine purpose. Don't miss that. God is so powerful that he makes dead people alive. And get this, without any of your help, he doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your good actions. You don't need to be a good person. God in his grace makes dead people alive because of his power through his son, Jesus. By his great grace alone, God makes dead enslaved sinners new, holy, and set apart for his glory and for his sovereign purpose. And Timothy, if you'll just remember your holy calling by his grace, then you can remain unashamed of this glorious good news. Paul doesn't stop. Probably could have stopped. There's enough power in those two to make me want to be unashamed. But he keeps going. The third way we see is God has the power to sovereignly orchestrate eternity. Number three, God has the power to sovereignly orchestrate eternity. Pick it up at the end of verse nine, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Paul magnifies the power of God by revealing his plan for salvation that started before the world ever began. Let your mind wrap around that for a moment. God is so powerful that before the world was ever spoken into existence, God was. And our God existing, our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit devised a rescue plan so that you, so that you, personal you, child of God you, could be his child forever. Think about that. Before the ages ever began, you were in God's mind. This plan this rescue plan, think about it, it involved a perfect world being created and spoken into existence by this powerful God. It involved a broken world where sin entered, where man desired to be their own God. It involved a law, then a continually broken law, then prophecy after prophecy after prophecy that proclaimed a perfect savior would come 
And then get this, before the ages ever began, our triune God was devising a rescue plan that was like, you know what? I'm gonna come to earth. I'm gonna send my perfect son who never did anything wrong down to these people who turned their back on me, these people who are enemies of God because of sin. And I'm gonna die a death that I don't deserve on a cross to pay for the sins of mankind. And that God who devised that plan before the ages began rose again from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And fast forward 2,000 years later, here you sit at Gospel City Church worshiping and marveling at the grace of God in your life because he poured himself out unto death. And he numbered, he was numbered with the transgressors and he made you alive in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's how powerful our God is. And Paul's like, Timothy, God's been working out this plan since before you were ever even a thought to anyone else, but you were a thought to God. And so fan into flame, man, the ability to carry this message forward because God's got you. God knew the opposition would come. God knew the suffering would come. God knew the trials and the hardship and the loss would come. So move this message forward. And then Paul gives us one more. The fourth way, God has the power to grant eternal life. God has the power to grant eternal life. At the end of verse 10, he says, manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Does death still exist? Yeah. Do people still die every day? But God took the sting out of death. God is so powerful that he killed death's sting. He killed death's victory. And so now when we die or when we lose someone, we don't have to grieve as if we have no hope. We put our trust in the fact that God defeated the grave. And so he knows what's happening on the other side of that grave. God can alter your destiny, your eternity by giving you a new destination. God's so powerful that he killed death's thing and he made it possible to change your destination so that he wouldn't just love you before the world's existence, but so that he could continue to love you when the earth is long gone and you're worshiping in his presence for all of eternity. Incredible. Timothy, remember the power of the gospel and you'll be unashamed. Remember the power that it has over sin and evil. Remember the power that it gives you in your calling. Remember that he's been orchestrating it since the beginning of time and he's got eternity and the future all worked out. If you can remember those things, you can be unashamed in the face of opposition. And then Paul in verse 11, that gospel, that message, that truth, that power, it was for that which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. I was appointed as that, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'll suffer for that because I know the power that it has. 
And it's important, it's urgent. But then Paul continues, he doesn't just want simply Timothy to remember the power of the gospel, that's the first step. But then he wants him to remain in the power of the gospel and be unashamed. That's point number two. Remain in the power of the gospel and you can be unashamed. That's a great word that goes with our abide theme for this year. If we're gonna abide in Christ as disciples, then we should be able to be unashamed by abiding in the vine, by remaining in the words that are spoken to us. And look what Paul says um, going into verse 13, sorry, verse 12. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. So how could, how, I just marvel at Paul's ability to stay on target in the midst of his suffering. How could Paul be unashamed? of his suffering. Did, had, and Timothy, he had heard the gospel. You had heard the gospel. That's why the first point's so important if you remember. Because Paul's like, if, if I can remember Timothy and if you can remember in Gospel City Church, if you can remember, then you can remain. If you can remember the power of the gospel, you can remain in the gospel. If you can remember the saving work of the gospel, you will remain saved by the gospel. If you can remember the holy calling of the gospel, you will remain faithful to the mission of the gospel. If you can remember the death-shattering, eternity-altering victory in the gospel, you can and will remain unashamed of its power and message no matter what it costs. But listen, there's a full-fledged enemy attack on this idea every single day. That's why the gospel is not this message that saved you in your past. And it's not this message that fits somewhere neatly in all the good joys and things of your life. This is a message that we preach to ourselves every single day upon every waking moment. And Satan, the enemy, he never takes a day off. So if you take a day off, you're falling behind real quick. The gospel, the power that's in this great truth has to be where we set our minds and our focus every single day that we wake up. This message is everything. This gospel message that Paul so powerfully reminds Timothy of is a message that believers gotta preach to themselves. Seek to deny themselves, die to their own comfort and satisfaction and pick up their cross and follow Jesus. The gospel-centered life, the Christian life, it's not one of comfort and ease. It's not one that says your life's gonna be perfect. It's not one that says you're gonna have all the things that you wish you could have. Picking up your cross is a picture of dying to yourself. The cross was, as the hymn says, an emblem of suffering and shame. The old rugged cross, so despised by the world. The world doesn't want that. The world around us doesn't think you should have to rejoice in suffering, be unashamed in suffering and trials and persecution and loss. But the Christian, those saved by his grace, now see the old rugged cross so despised by the world as having a wondrous attraction to me. I'll pick up that cross. I'll face the trials and tribulations of this world, but I'll take heart because my Jesus has overcome it all. And I'll be unashamed no matter what I face. And then as Paul continues, he gives us three ways to remain unashamed. 
We see it in his lifestyle. We see it in his example. And I think he's telling Timothy, hey, you got to remember first. But once you remember, here's three ways that I remain, three ways that you can remain. The first one is this, trust your security. Trust your security. The second half of verse 12, Paul writes, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That day being the day that Paul would stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul had his eyes fixed on eternity. Paul's hope was solely found in the gospel, so much so that he exhorts Timothy and he's exhorting us today to follow his example. Paul's modeling for us his famous words that he wrote to the Philippian church, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I'm going to breathe air on this earth, you're going to know that I'm all about Jesus and his good news that can save you. But get this, while I'm happy to do that, I'm just as happy to lose my life and gain eternity, whether by persecution, whether by sword, by famine, by flame, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So rather than wallow in this hole where I await my execution by Rome, I'm gonna fan my flame and I want you, Timothy, to fan your flame. I'm gonna use whatever platform the Lord gives me and I want you to use your platform to get this gospel truth, this message, this way of living forward. Because there's no greater message, no greater platform, no greater mission No greater reason for breathing than the Christian making much of Jesus and letting others know of the hope that can only come through Christ. What platform has God given you? Who has he surrounded you with? Where do you sense yourself growing timid and tucking away your testimony? What have you gone through recently where you can make much of Christ? If you trust in your security, if you trust that he has changed your destination, if you trust in the power of the message of Christ, what do you have to lose? He's prepared a place for you. He's got your eternity all worked out, so make Jesus known. Paul trusted in his security, but Paul also trusted in his doctrine and therefore he had convictions in the midst of these things. That's the second thing. Three ways to remain unashamed. Deepen your doctrine. This is an important one. Look in verse 13. Paul writes, Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul gives instructions for how to remain faithful. Affirm the doctrine and the theology and the principles found in God's word. Paul uses the word sound, which means like healthy, whole, right, true. The sound words of scripture build faithful disciples. Where are you rooted? Where are you digging for your answers? 
What answers are you holding on to? We have to be students of the word of God, this breathed out word of God. Listen to what scripture says about itself. Psalm 119.1, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 40 verse eight, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The beauty and the comforts of this world, they're gonna fade away eventually, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Psalm 138 too, check this out. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Even God magnifies his own word above his own name. He breathed this out this instruction manual, this love letter, so that you would know where to stand and what to hold on to in the day of trouble. Do not stray from the truth of God's word. Follow what has already been preached to you in faith and in love. Faith being the confident expectation that this book is true. Love being the kindness and compassion that, would, that someone would proclaim such truth to you but you have to do the digging. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to submit yourself to the word and to the work in the word. This is an endless well and the digger, the, the, the further you deep, the more digging you do, the more hungry you'll become because God is an endless well of character and loving kindness and goodness and security. Just one meal a week physically can't sustain you, right? You eat one time a week, you're not gonna be sustained. Spiritually speaking, it's the same. If this is all you get week in and week out, a 40 minute message that you didn't prepare, you're falling behind. When the heat gets turned up, you're drifting backwards. What are you holding on to? What answers? Look in verse 14, in that same point, deep in your doctrine, Paul writes, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What, had been, what, what was the good deposit? What had been entrusted to young Timothy? Sound doctrine, sound teaching, a belief system that's consistent with the word of God and the power of the gospel unto salvation. This language of guard the deposit, it's not the first time we see it. Look back in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 20 and 21, this is how Paul ended his first letter. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Meaning, there's a lot of garbage out there that will seek to form your belief system and thoughts about God, but only the true and studied and measured message found in God's word will endure. There's a lot of faith movements out there that claim to have the answer for life and godliness and life after death, but only this gospel saves. There's all kinds of self-helpy, self-improving, motivational, lovey-dovey, great sounding stuff out there, but the actual follower of Christ will hold fast and take heed to the sound and discerned teaching of God's truth. Paul exhorts Timothy to guard himself from every other wind of doctrine every other truth claim besides what he has heard from faithfully sitting under the teaching of God's word. And we gotta do the same. 
we may not be able yet to relate to the extreme persecution that was going on in their day surrounding Christianity. Although at times, right, we just simply allow the fear of man to stifle us from sharing our testimony with someone. We may not be able to relate yet to that extreme persecution, but we can certainly relate to a cultural attack on the truth of God's word and the actual saving message of the gospel, can't we? Like this is being swept away in our culture, in our society. And if we're going to be men and women who are bold in our faith for the sake of the kingdom of God, then we have to be men and women of conviction. Men and women who are unashamed to call sin, sin in a culture that continually shifts at calling what is evil, good. Hear this. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. If you're going to follow in my example and put your life on the line for Christ, then you have to be a man of conviction and guard that conviction with all your heart. And one of the main reasons that many of us find ourselves timid and ashamed of our testimony is because we have no convictions at all. It can be easy, right? To fold into church week after week, hear a sermon, feel good about our faith, sing songs next to our brothers and sisters and walk out of this place absolutely unchanged, with no convictions to carry into our workplaces, into our schools, into the platforms and places that God has placed us. And rather than being able to call good truth and evil sin, we stand for nothing and get stuck in the middle of wish-washy, easy believism that requires no action on our part whatsoever. And if you're not intentional to constantly deposit the truth of God's word into your life and allow belief in that truth to move you to action for the sake of the kingdom, when the day comes, and it will come, when the day comes for you to boldly and courageously withdraw, you will have nothing to draw from. So disciple, be a student of the word of God. Dig deep in the wells of scripture and guard that deposit with your life, even unto death. You don't think this is, is very much alive in our, our day, our culture today? I just have to share this with you. So I was out skateboarding with my kids and my neighborhood kids the other day, Friday, and I opened the, I opened the uh, mailbox and I got a handwritten letter. I pulled it out and I was like, hot dog, my name's on here, handwritten letter. You get, a, you get a handwritten letter in 2021, you're doing good. And I opened it and I pulled it out, sure enough, handwritten, return address on there. It's Micah, we are writing you today to invite you to a special event. Woo! It's a good day. That will be attended by millions of people. And it's the anniversary of Jesus's death. And I'm like... That is cool. Like, that's real cool. These brothers and sisters wanted to invite me to a celebration of Easter, and they sent me a handwritten letter. I mean, I got my own thing at my own church with my own family. I probably can't go, but uh, that, that was, that's a cool thing. That's a cool thing to write a letter to someone. And it goes on once a year, thousands of locations worldwide. And I was a little confused. I was like, who's this from? I don't even know. And then I looked in the envelope, and I pulled out this little pamphlet, picture of white Jesus with some really uh, 
cool porcelain veneer teeth and sharp haircut on there. And I thought, that's sweet. And I opened it up. And, uh, and I noticed on here that the event where millions attend, it was March 27th. I'm like, they got the, they got the date wrong. Like Easter's April 4th. I've been planning, I've been planning it. It's going to be great. They got the date. So I followed the little barcode and I went to the page and I clicked yes to the video. And I'll tell you what, it was a good video. Like it sucked me right in. It was so loving. It was so kind. The guy, God created the world and sin entered the world. And at one point the video goes, and one day God decided to send one of his perfect spirit sons to earth to save it. And, and in that moment, the good deposit that people have put into my soul for years and years and years that I'm trying to guard, the red flag went ding, 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 ding. What? That, that ain't the gospel. I mean, this is, I, I admire the self-control to write handwritten letters. I admire the love that I sensed in the video, but that message had no power because it was the wrong gospel. Jesus wasn't God. And we know that the only gospel, the only power is found in the truth that Jesus is God and God gave himself up for the lost and died a death he didn't deserve so that we might be made righteous in his sight by his blood alone. And hopefully you're mature enough in your faith, in your doctrine, to be able to see the fallacy of something like this that you get in the mail. But guess what? Your neighbor might not be. And they're probably getting the same handwritten letter. And who's gonna teach them to follow Jesus? Who's gonna teach them the way of Jesus? Who's gonna boldly go across the street and say, hey brother, let me tell you what Christ has done in my life and be unashamed of their testimony. We've gotta do it. We've gotta do it. Deepen your doctrine. And the third and final way that Paul tells Timothy to remain unashamed, find gospel partners. Find gospel partners. Verse 15, you were aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. So Paul reminds Timothy of these people who turned away when the gospel got bold and the persecution turned up. Phygelus and Hermogenes were obviously students of Paul. They probably affirmed what he taught and followed him on his best days. But when the heat got turned up, and when the suffering started and when Paul was arrested, they were like, I'm out. But then Paul goes on to praise his friend Onesiphorus, who went out of his way to associate with Paul because he was a true partner in the gospel. Look what it says. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Your gospel partners, man, they'll bring refreshing to your soul on your worst days. I've, I've seen it in this church this week. Brothers and sisters in Christ surrounding people, walking through hard things, loss, suffering, pain. Brothers and sisters, gospel partners, 
praying with one another, providing for one another, pointing one another to Jesus Christ? Who do you turn to when the going gets tough? And here's the main idea. When Jesus is the loudest and boldest message in your life, it will drastically impact your relationships. And it should. Some of you know you're investing in relationships or friend groups or wrong reasons for even selfish motives. I don't know if it's status, popularity, get ahead, pleasure, leisure, I don't know. But here's the point. You should be around sinners, absolutely. Should you hang around the lost? Yes, Jesus did all the time. But be careful that they don't influence you towards something other than your holy calling in Christ Jesus. Like, do your friends, do your groups know, does your work partners know what you stand for? Or can you conveniently tuck away your convictions when you get around them and only pull those out when you're around your Christian brothers and sisters here at Gospel City Church? Because when when the heat gets turned up, when the fire turns up, you'll see very quickly who will desert you when the going gets tough and who will be there to refresh you and point you to Jesus and pray for you and help you in the time of trouble. This message has got to go forward. We got to fan into flame our boldness and the deposit that has been put in us as disciples of Jesus, like our life depended on it. Come on, stand to your feet and, and, and check this out. Who, who, who's your gospel partners? Like, who are you running to? My brother Brent here, like when I, I know that when the going gets tough, I know that when something's going on in my life, I can turn to this guy. I can call this guy. I can ask, I can tell this guy my biggest problems and he's going to pray for me and he's going to tell me the things I'm doing wrong and he's going to point me to Jesus and he's going to help me focus my life on Christ who saved my life. Amen. Check this out. You also need guys like this in your life. Sammy's younger than me. Don't you appreciate Sammy? Y'all appreciate Sammy back here? You don't, you don't even know what he does. But man, Sammy is younger than me, but he's, he's more talented than me. And I'm like, Sammy, you got to use this gift, bro, for the glory of God. Like fan into flame. I love what you do to help point us as musicians and, and singers to Jesus. But fan into flame your ability to do that for Jesus Christ. And guess what? Like, it's gonna get tough sometimes. Life's not always gonna be easy. It's not always gonna be perfect, but you gotta deepen the doctrine, root yourself in God's word, and don't allow the ways of the world to pull you into the world. You be a leader. You fan into flame your ability to love the gospel and know the gospel and point people to the gospel, and God's got your future worked out. Amen? Amen, can you get that? Do you have that in your life? And so, listen, this is, This is how we have to live as disciples, bold, unashamed, arms high, heart abandoned, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Do you believe it, church? You fired up this morning? Come on, let's go out of here singing with all we've got, that I'll stand. So Father God, we come as your people, your disciples, your called, your chosen ones adopted as sons and daughters before the foundation of the world, putting our hope and our security in the eternal place of heaven that you are creating and preparing for us. And so God, in the midst of right now, we know that we face hardship, we face loss and suffering, and there's so many things 
going on? Would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on you? And God, would you help us to trust in your word? Would you create a supernatural hunger in our souls for more of your word? And God, as it's put into our lives through older men and older women who mentor us and through disciples and through small groups and as we get together and as we study your word, Lord, would you continue to grow a hunger and an assurance for righteousness that comes only through your word? God, would you surround us with men and women who love Jesus? And God, every day that we wake up, help us to remember the power that you have through this gospel and make us unashamed, make us bold. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and self-control. And so Lord, we wanna take that to the streets. So Lord, I pray that this week, there would be moments that we can look back on the right now, this service, this time together, and we can say, man, I was motivated to tell somebody about my testimony, tell somebody about what Jesus has done in my life. And Lord, we pray that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears to the gospel message that the world so desperately needs. God, we trust you, we worship you. In your mighty and matchless name we pray, amen. Amen, I'm so glad you came today and it's great to sing, it's great to worship. I love hearing you uh, sing to Jesus and open your Bibles together. Um, I'll tell you what, come and talk to a pastor at the front. If you wanna talk about having a testimony, let's talk. And, uh, but come and find a pastor. If anyone can pray for you specifically, we would love to do that. But let's go and serve him this week, unashamedly, boldly. You are loved and you are sent.